Amen. Lord, that's our heart, that everything in the world around us would fade. And Lord, our focus, our passion, our desire, our reason for living would be focused completely on you. Because Lord, you are worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, to be honored. You are what life is all about. Apart from you, there's no truth, there's no hope, there's no, there's no heaven. And so we just thank you for your love, for your grace. Help us, Lord, to get our eyes off of ourselves, to get our eyes off of the things of this temporal life that really don't matter, and to put them on you. Lord, as we go to your word right now, we ask that you would be our teacher. Lord, because we know that it's not the words of men that transform, transform lives, but Lord, it's the word of God. And so may your word go out with great power as you would speak to every man and woman who is here. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel on the road. Good to have you here. If you're visiting today, uh, believe it or not, people seem to like the gym better. Is that true or not? It's amazing because that's home, right? And when you get away from home, it's just not the same. Well, God bless you guys. This morning, we're going to do something a little different. Uh, just a quick update. As some of you might know, I got a call Wednesday night as I was finishing up my study for Wednesday that my wife was being taken to the emergency room for an emergency surgery, which she had, and she's doing better. Praise God. Pray for her that she won't do too much. Um, she, you know, she, got a hernia op- she had a hernia operation from moving stuff around, and so she's not supposed to move stuff around. So pray for her that she doesn't move stuff around, okay? But uh, she's back, and because of that, I was home. We had, she had surgery, and I was home caring for her. So we're going to look at the message I was going to teach Wednesday night, had we been here. But you know what I've learned a long time ago? God is sovereign, and He knew that this morning some people needed to hear out of the book of Ruth. Amen? Amen. So we'll get back to the New Testament when I get back from India in a couple weeks. But this morning we're going to look at Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to give you an overview of the book of Ruth because that's where we are on Wednesday nights. My prayer is that maybe some of your appetites will be whetted to start coming on Wednesday night because the Old Testament rocks. Amen. Amen. The Old Testament is so good. Ruth is just as inspired as Romans, Leviticus as Luke. And it's important that we study the whole counsel of God. And that includes the Old Testament that is a foreshadow of the coming Christ. And we will certainly see it in the coming weeks as we go through the book of Ruth. Now to give you an overview of Ruth, some context, if you haven't been coming on Wednesday nights, Ruth is such a, a breath of fresh air. Could you maybe close that door only because I'm getting a cross draft here and my notes are going to end up out that door. <laughs> but uh, Ruth is such a breath of fresh air because it happens right at the same time as the book of Judges. If you were here going through the book of Judges, Judges was an, an ungodly, immoral time during the children of Israel's Time in the land of promise. It was a 400 year period where you had seven cycles of sin. Seven different times they started walking with God. They would be walking with the Lord because God had raised up a judge. They would fall away from God as soon as that judge passed away. And they would start to serve the false gods of the land. And they became extremely immoral. And the tagline for that time was, everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes. So you had a a people doing what is right in their own eyes, not doing what is right in God's eyes. Sounds like the country we live in today. Everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. Moral relativism is nothing new. If it's good for you, do it. And that was the time of the judges. And so you had this period that went over seven different times. And each time what would eventually happen, they would come to the end of themselves when they were in bondage to another people, the pagan, very pagan gods they were serving. They would fall in bondage to their people because God would allow it because of their disobedience and rebellion. But then God would raise up a deliverer or a judge in the land, not a guy with a black robe, but more of a godly man that would lead them back into a right relationship with the Lord. And they would start to serve God again. And he would bring peace into the land. And as soon as that guy would die, They would run right back to their old ways. Does that sound like anybody else's life besides mine? You know, you start, you're walking with the Lord, you're doing well with God, and then you know what? It doesn't take very long before you to go back and start doing the things you used to do. And you know what? Praise God for His grace. Amen? Amen. Because seven times He keeps bringing them back and bringing them back and bringing them back. Now the last five chapters of the book of Ruth is a kind of an appendix on the book. It gives us an insight to what was happening during those days in personal lives. And if you'll remember, just briefly, there was a man by the name of Micah who started his own religion, if you will. He made his own idols, and he got his own priest, and he put up his own tabernacle. And thought, well, hey, 
It's, you know, it's kind of close to what God's doing, and it's more convenient for me. It's right here in my backyard. I got my own priest. I mean, God's going to, I got my own priest. I mean, hey, he made his own priestly garments. And the guy he hired to be priest was Moses' grandson. Now, how far away did Moses' grandson get in such a brief amount of time to go from being the grandson of the one who brought down the Ten Commandments, the one who had spent time in the presence of Almighty God, and now he's a hireling being hired out to tell the man what he wants to hear. And sadly, I know this is blunt, but that, that won't surprise you. The truth is that there's too much of the church today where men are hirelings telling men what they want to hear so they can have a gig. And that's exactly what was happening. Moses' grandson was saying, hey man, this pays well, and I'll tell you whatever you want to hear, and you know, we'll go in and worship those idols if you want to, because hey, as long as it pays well. And so what happens is the Danites come along, and they find out they've got a priest and some gods, so they stole his gods from him. Now if your god can be stolen, that's not good. Amen. And his god was stolen, and his priest was stolen. And you know why? Because the man was a hireling who was more concerned with what the gig paid than being obedient to God. And certainly being paid by an entire tribe would be more money than just serving one man. And so his grandson went off and served with the Danites. But we know that the Danites went up and did not settle in the land God had called them to. They went to another land. They slaughtered a bunch of innocent people. And you never saw their tribe mentioned again in Scripture. Then you get to another Levite, a man of God who had a concubine. Here's the problem. A Levite with a concubine. A concubine is nothing more than a glorified or legalized, in the world's eyes, mistress. And she went off and, and fled from him and started be prostituting herself. And he went to get her back, not because he loved her, but he went to get her back and he partied and drank with her father-in-law. Again, this is a Levite, a pastor of the day, a man who's supposed to be giving the law to the people. And he, and he brings her back and they stop in this city that's wicked, city of Gibeah. And while they're there, this woman... These men come to the door and they clamor for this Levite to come out so they can have homosexual sex with them. Now this is what kind of land they were living in. And you know what? The man who was, who was housing them said, No, don't take this man. You can have my virgin daughter instead. Do with her what you will. And what kind of man is that? Not much of one. And sadly, this Levite also sent his concubine out with her. And we know the concubine was literally raped and abused till she died. This is the time of the land of judges. This is the land that they were living in. And we know what happened that he then took the concubine, he cut her into 12 pieces, sent her out to all the tribes. They came together. There was civil war in Israel as the tribe of Benjamin was defending these men and the rest of Israel was fighting against them. This is the time of Ruth. The reason I'm bringing all this up is I want you to see the time they were living in, what was going on around them, and this is where Ruth comes in, and what a refreshing story this is in the midst of all this garbage. Amen. In the midst of this such ungodly time to know that our God is still faithful, still in control, still loving, and is still looking for those who will turn their eyes to Him. Amen. Don't be discouraged by the world, no matter how ungodly it is around you. Just remember that our God is faithful, and the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of, one whose heart is loyal to him. Ruth is a picture of the grace of God. We're going to see this term, a kinsman redeemer, which is a picture of Jesus Christ. We're going to see the, just the, the hand of God and the love of God and the grace of God right in the midst of the time of the judges. And so that should be an encouragement to us. I take the time to give us context because without it, we can't fully grasp it. This is a story of redemption in the book of Ruth. Just remember the word redeem means to purchase. And when I think of the word redeem, it's funny. This will age you. If you're over 40, you'll get this. If you're not, you won't. How many of you ever had blue chip stamps? You go get gas, they give you stamps, right? That's when they pumped your gas, washed your windshield, gave you stamps. And it was 49 cents a gallon, right? Yeah. Now it's three bucks and uh, we, you know, help yourself and you get nothing, you know what I mean? <laughs> but the point is that I remember as a kid, we'd get the blue chip stamps and we'd, you know, put them in the little books and we'd go down and you know, as a little kid, we'd get Tinker Toys and Lincoln Logs. Those were the things you got with your, your blue chip stamps. But what you did is you redeemed the, the, you gave them something to redeem or purchase back something of value. 
But this is a story of redemption of a woman whose life from the world's perspective was of no value. But it goes to show you how great our God is. Because what the world says is of no value is of great value to God. And you might look at someone today and think that that person is of no value. They're all of great value to Almighty God. The person, a kinsman redeemer, the word is 15 times in this book of Ruth. The word is goel. And there's a kinsman redeemer. It had to be a family, a near relative, who could step up when somebody was so in debt that they couldn't get out of it. They were so in debt that they could never restore themselves. They could never get back even. There was no bankruptcy that they could file, but they would have to give their property away or enslave themselves. And this Goel, or this kinsman redeemer, was the one who would come along and take their own money and repurchase the land or pay off the debt to restore the person back to freedom. Again, a very clear picture of our Savior and His redemptive work for us upon the cross. And you know what's interesting? And I know I'm giving you kind of an overview on the whole book, but we'll look, and then we'll move to chapter 1. But what's great about this story is Ruth, as you're going to see, was a Gentile woman who was a Moabitess, which means she was of one of the most vile people on the planet. And in the end, she becomes the great-grandmother of King David, and in the line of Jesus Christ. Now, is our God a redeeming God or what? He doesn't just redeem us and save us from hell fire, right? Ooh, just, you know, tail smoking. You know, that's not our God. He doesn't just barely get you out of hell. He desires to transform your life and use it in a mighty and a powerful way and do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think, just like He did with Ruth. God can do that. God wants to do that. And so let's take a look at this wonderful story And as we go through, we're going to see first Ruth weeping, then Ruth working, then Ruth waiting, and then finally in chapter 4, Ruth wedding. And I just love this story because to me, there's so many applications for all of us. So the title of the message, if you're a note taker, I I put for this chapter, Responding to the Difficulties of Life. How do you respond when things are tough? By the way, that's how we really find out where we're doing and how we're doing spiritually. Amen? It's real easy to be on the cruise ship to heaven when everything's perfect, but how do we do when things are difficult? How do we respond when things aren't fair, when things just don't seem right? And we're going to see that clear picture. We're going to see from the text, our response is tied directly to our perspective. If you have a temporal, physical perspective, if you have an earthly perspective, you're not going to respond very well. But if you have a heavenly perspective a spiritual perspective, an eternal perspective, you can respond in light of God's grace. We can learn through the faithfulness of others. And we're going to see that in the text. So if you're keeping notes, responding to the difficulties of life, first we're going to see the response of Elimelech. And it's a physical response. He's going to run from his problems. So number one, running from your problems. There's one option. When problems come, you can just run from them. And you know what? We've all done that at times, haven't we? Instead of face them, ignore them, or run away from them. And that's exactly what we're going to see Elimelech do in verses 1 through 5. Then we're going to see the response of three different widows. Naomi is going to grieve. Orpah is going to follow the example of Elimelech, and she's going to leave. But Ruth is going to cleave. Naomi is going to grieve. Orpah's going to leave, and Ruth is going to cleave. Uh, Ways we can respond. We can run again. We can grieve as those without hope and feel like we're hopeless and just give up. We can run away. We can leave. Or we can cling tighter to God than ever before. And that's what God has called us to do in times of great, great trials. And then lastly, having been brought to the end of yourself, you can respond with either brokenness or bitterness. So we're going to see again, running away, Leaving, grieving, leaving, cleaving, or lastly, how do we respond in times of great difficulty? Is it brokenness or bitterness? Let's begin in verse 1 of Ruth chapter 1. Responding to the difficulties of life. We're first going to see Elimelech's response. He's going to run from his problems. And when you run from your problems, it only gets worse. It doesn't go away. When you ignore your homework, it's still there. I keep telling my kids that. If you ignore it, it doesn't go away. You just have more the next day. And you know what? If you ignore the struggles and the trials of life, they don't go away. They only grow. So let's take a look beginning in verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass in the day when the judges ruled. Again, we just talked about that. During this time of idolatry, no king in Israel. 
During this time of great challenge and godlessness, and a time when God desired to restore a right relationship with Him, with His people, a time when the church had abandoned the Word of God, the children of Israel had, had stopped making the Word of God the focus, sounds like the world we live in today, had stopped doing what was right in God's eyes, holiness was replaced by moral relativism, sin was no longer sin. Today we live in a time where the word sin is I, I can't tell you how many pastors I've heard say that you should never use that word. And I'm like, then you can't read the Bible. Amen. Take away sin and make it a disorder. It's not your fault. Can I tell you right now, guys, if you didn't know, and you might not like me after this, but that's okay. It's not a popularity contest. Amen? Amen. You guys are sinners. Amen. Every one of you. And you are in need of a Savior, aren't you? But see, here's the point, guys. If you don't see you're a sinner, you'll never see your need for a Savior. That's right. And here's a time when everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. There's no more godly standard anymore. And look how far away they're getting. Where you've got a priest giving up his concubine, his mistress, who he shouldn't have had to begin with, to be abused unto death. How does that happen? You get away from the Word of God. Guys, we need to return to the Word of God in our churches and in our homes and in our daily lives. Amen? The cross is also considered to be too offensive today by many. I heard a man say not long ago that it is a vile doctrine, the cross of Christ. It is not a vile doctrine, it is an essential doctrine. Without it, there is no salvation. Amen? But here we have this, this time, not unlike today. Everyone doing what's right in their own eyes, and because of it, there are heavy-duty consequences. And you know what? I'm not going to get political because I'm just not a political guy. But here's the point. You know what we need more than electing the right person? We need to fall back in love with the Lord. Amen. We need to get the Word of God back into our schools. We need to teach the Word of God. We need to not be ashamed of Jesus Christ at work. Amen. You know, they can outlaw it in school, but they can't keep you from talking about Him. Amen? Amen? And we should not be shy. We should not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We serve a great and an awesome God. Amen. As Bill said, we're leaving for India this afternoon. And you know what? Be in prayer. These guys are so on fire for God. I go over there to teach them how to study and teach the Bible. And they always minister more to me than I ever could to them. Because these are young men who are going to go out. Most of them will be beaten. And many of them will lose their lives out preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for them, it's not a game. For them, it's not part of their life. For them, it's it's. Being completely sold out to God. And you know what? That's what we all need to be. Amen? Amen? Sold out for the Lord. So because of their ungodliness, because they were not walking with the Lord, because it was a time when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, look what it says. There was a famine in the land. When we turn away from God, we should not be surprised that there are consequences to our sin. And this is a consequence of sin in the land of Israel. Did he promise to provide for them in the land? What's the answer? It was a land flowing with milk and honey. But what happens is when we turn our backs completely on God, he will not force his blessings or provision upon us when we're walking in disobedience. And here's what is happening. They've walked away from God and now there's famine in the land. Now, these are the times of difficulty where we have to make a choice. God had said, would say in 2 Chronicles that when His people turned to worship other gods, the rain would cease and He would bring famine into the land. So we know that this famine is because of their disobedience. You know, sometimes we go through trials while we're walking in obedience to God and that's a trial. But when we're going through difficulties because we're in rebellion, that's rebellion. And those are two different things. God doesn't promise to bless our rebellion. And too often, that's what we do. We rebel against God and then we cry out to God to fix the problem. And again, if we're truly repentant, I believe God can and will. But you know what? Sin has consequences. And that's exactly where the children of Israel are. They're so far away from God. They served other gods. His anger was aroused. He had shut up the heavens. And this famine was a direct result of their disobedience. So look at it says, And a certain man of Bethlehem, isn't that interesting? He's from Bethlehem. The city where Jesus would be born. Bethlehem means house of what? Bread. House of bread. There was no bread in the house of bread. There was famine in the house of bread. Why was there famine? Because they had turned away from God. It says there in Bethlehem, Judah. Judah means praise. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
So Bethlehem, Judah is where Jesus was born. This is the house of bread, the place of praise, and it's dry and there's famine. Why is there dryness and famine? Why are they not being fed? Why is there a lack of worship? Because they had turned their backs on God. You can be in a land where God wants to minister. You can be in a place. You can even be in a church and it can be dry. You can be in your own walk and you experience dryness. It's because you're not desperate for God. You're not spending time daily in His presence. You're not seeking His face. This is what's happening. There's famine in the land and there can be dryness in your walk. And that's what's happening here to the children of Israel. You know what else happens? You know what dryness comes most often for me? When I become self-sufficient and less desperate. When I start thinking, hey, I've been walking with God, you know, and you start skipping your devotions, you don't have as much time in the Word, instead of listening to worship music, you listen to something else. And before you, you're not hanging out with your Christian friends, you start blowing off church for things. And before you know it, you get away from the Lord, and He's no longer the... Hey, you're still a Christian, you still love God. If someone asks you, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you're not sharing your faith as much anymore, and there's this distance between you and the Lord. And often it happens when we cease to be desperate. When I wander away from God's direction and will, I start to do things my own way. When intimate fellowship is no longer a priority. So this town where this is happening is the same place where the Levite lived who had hired Moses' grandson. Remember I told you about Micah? He lived in this town too. There's famine there for a reason. And as there's famine in this land, the ungodliness had brought it. So how does this man of Judah respond? How does he respond to difficulty? You know, famine can do one of two, it can do one of two things. It can cause bitterness or brokenness, right? It can bring us back to crying out to God, Lord, I've blown it. Or it can just make us go deeper into our sinful behavior. And look how he responds. He went to dwell in the country of Moab. Now, what is he doing? He's not crying out to God. He's running from his problem. And he's only making things worse. He's leaving Bethlehem in the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey, and he's going to live instead in the land of Moab. Now, who are the Moabites? These were not good folks. In Psalm 108, Moab is called the washbowl. It can be interpreted one of two ways. It's either where people washed all their stinky, dirty feet, or it was a toilet bowl. And either way, it's not good. Now, who are the Moabites? Where do they come from? Well, if you remember the story of Lot. Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And, and Abraham you know, cried out because God was going to wipe out Sodom. And he said, you know, if I find 50, 40, 30, 20, 10 righteous. He said, if you find 10, I'll save it. Couldn't find 10. Told Lot, time to leave. Lot comes out with his family. His wife turns back. We're not to turn back and look at Sodom. She looked back at Sodom. God turned her into a pillar of salt. Guys, don't look back at your old life. Look forward to Christ. And so what happens is, Paul said, this one thing I do, I leave that which is behind. I press onward to the upward calling of Christ Jesus. But she looked back. And so it left Lot with his daughters. And his daughters didn't have any men with them. And Lot didn't have a wife. And so Lot's daughters say, well, we're never going to have any kids. So they get their dad drunk and they sleep with him. Okay. And their kids were the Moabites and the Ammonites. So these are the Moabites. They came out of an ancestral relationship through drunkenness. And they were in complete rebellion against God. So this man of God... Elimelech, his name means, and we're going to see that in a second, his name has a godly meaning. That means he was raised by godly parents. But as soon as trials come, he runs from God and runs to the world. In a place where pagan idolatry was running rampant. In a place that was completely and totally godless. The Bible says in Zephaniah that Moab would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Their ancestors had lived there. And now they were going to be just like them. So when difficulties of life come, we can do one of three things. We can endure it, escape it, or enlist it. If we only endure our trials, they become our master. I'm just enduring it. Just, just, try, just muddling through, man. Is that what God wants us to do? Absolutely not. If we try to escape it, we'll miss what God wants to, for us to learn and grow through it. But if we enlist it, they become our servants instead of our masters, and God, through it, will transform our lives. He says this, and God will work all things together for good for those who trust in God. 
God will work it all together for good. So the trials that come, trust that God is, is faithful to use that for His glory. Now, one of two things is true. The trial can come as you walk in obedience, and God will use that to grow you, and it can come while you're in total rebellion, and God can use it to restore you. You know, the Bible talks about delivering someone up for the destruction of their flesh. People don't like those verses. But the truth is, it's not to destroy them, but to restore them. Because if someone can live in the church and continue their sinful behavior and never have any consequences and have their cake and eat it too and pretend to be a Christian and then live a godless lifestyle and nobody ever loves them enough to call them on it, they'll continue to live a life of hypocrisy forever. But if you deliver them out, they have to make a choice now. Continue on in my sinful behavior and be outside of fellowship or repent of my sinful behavior and get back into fellowship. So God's desire is not that we would do this to destroy someone, but to restore them. And that's God's heart and God's will. It says here, he and his wife and his two sons. When we run from our problems, when we purposely walk away from God and his will, we not only impact ourselves, but our entire family. When a man runs from God, he just takes his whole family with him. And the whole family is going to reap, reap the consequences of it. So he took his wife and his two children. Verse 2. The name of the man was Elimelech. Elimelech means Yahweh is king. That's a great name. Now if I didn't know what kind of man this guy was, I would think that would be a great name for one of my boys. Because that's a great name, what his name means. But the man that he is does not follow up with his name. And it says there, the name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. So Limelech's not living up to his name. And like many who would call themselves Christians today, we call ourselves Christians, but we don't live like it. What's your name? My name is God is King. Yahweh is King. What are you up to? I'm running from God right now to go down to Moab to live in pagan idolatry. (laughs) We call ourselves Christians. People know we're a Christian, but then we live like the world and no one would ever recognize Christ in anything we do. This is a Limelech. He's living a godless life says there, the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. Malon means sickly, and Chilion means pining. These are my boys, sickly and pining. Tells me already that this guy had gotten away from God before he named his kids, right? And it says there, Epaphrodites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab, and remained there. Epaphrodite means fruitfulness. It was the ancient name of Bethlehem. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. This man of God made a wrong decision. He was moved by his circumstances. How much prayer do we see here? None. Guys, if you move without praying, you're moving in the wrong direction. Amen? We need to seek the Lord. Lord, show me your will. Help me to hear your heart. Moved by his circumstances, walking by sight and not by faith. He doesn't seek the Lord for direction. Going your way instead of trusting the word of God and being led by his spirit is what happens when we run from our problems. Man's wisdom is foolishness to God. Did you know that? When you think you got it all figured out, you're wrong. In Isaiah it says, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes. You know who was really wise in his own eyes? Satan. Didn't he think he knew more than God? Didn't he try to tempt Eve with the same thing? You can be like God. You're going to know as much as God knows. And then in the wilderness, when he tempted Jesus, he told him, satisfy your hunger rather than please God. And that's the same temptation he'll use on you. Satisfy your hunger rather than please God. Oh, you want to do it? Go do it. You're forgiven. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're going to heaven. He'll forgive you. Right? Heard that before? He'll forgive you. Just do it. The enemy. So how does it work out for Elimelech and his family? Running away from God, doing things their own way. Look what happened. Then Elimelech, verse 3, Naomi's husband died. That'll work out too well. (laughs) He ran away from God and he died. He got outside of God's will. He ends up dead. The sad part is, not only does he end up dead, but now his wife and children end up husbandless and fatherless. Why? Because he ran away from God. 
What happens when we cease to heed God's word and will? We go after our own desires. We leave the house of bread, the church body. We seek satisfaction from the world. Don't be surprised when the consequences are heavy. This family is left without a father, without a husband. Turning to the world only made things worse. And she was left and her two sons. Now watch what else happens. It's only going to get worse. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. Okay, dad runs from the problems, doesn't come before God, takes his children down into an ungodly place. He dies. Now his sons marry Moabite women. Were they supposed to marry Moabite women? They were being unequally yoked with the world. God had commanded them not to marry these people. They were, if any, they were to wipe them out, not marry them. And so now you see what happens when we choose to run from our problems. Can I tell you something? Your kids are watching how you, how you respond to difficulty. The greatest example you give is not what you say, but how you respond. And these young men of Israel see their dad running away into a land of pagan idolatry. He dies. They stay there in a direct violation with the word of God. Hey, dad didn't obey the word of God. Why should I? Dad cheats on his taxes. What, does, what difference does it make if I, you know, sleep with my girlfriend? Dad's abusive. Dad's got a loud mouth. Dad's a hypocrite. He pretends to be one thing at church and lives this way at home. Why do I need to walk in holiness? Guys, we are the, the Jesus that our kids see every day in the way that we live it out in front of them. And so we see here that Elimelech has brought his kids into this godly environment and now ungodly environment. And now God is no longer the priority. They've left the place of promise, the place of fellowship, and the result is ungodly marriages. Can I say this side note as a dad? Love your kids enough to step in if they're getting involved in an ungodly relationship. And it's not going to be popular, but that's okay. You're called to be mom and dad, not popular. Amen? And sometimes, you know what? And in the end, your kids will thank you. But at the time, they won't like it. But step up and love your kids enough. Our journeys do impact our children. We need to lead our children spiritually. So it says here, they married these two women. The name of one was Orpah. Orpah means stubbornness. My daughter's stubbornness. Amazing. So sickly married stubbornness. This is on its way to great things. And the name of the other was Ruth. Ruth means friendship. We're going to find out that that was an accurate name. So it says there, they married and the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelt there about 10 years. So they get married to these Moabite women. They're living in this pagan idolatrous land for 10 years. Now understand, when they went to Moab, this was a big deal. It was about a 50-mile trek, which doesn't sound like a long distance, but they didn't have a car. And they went through the desert. And they crossed over the Jordan. This is amazing to me. God brings them over the Jordan to the land of promise. They cross through the Judean desert and go over the Jordan to go back out of the land of promise into a land of desolation, away from a land flowing with milk and honey. But when their dad dies, they stay there. Ten more years... They're married now to these Moabite women and living in the land, and they've made Moab their home. Guys, we should never be at home in this world. This is not our home. We're aliens here. And again, we need to love the people around us and minister to them, but the reason we get so bummed out about stuff is we keep mistaking this place for home when it's not. Now look what happens. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the women survived her two sons and her husband. The woman is Naomi. So disobedience does indeed have heavy consequences. All the men that matter to Naomi are all dead now. The end result is, from running from their problem, is there, and operating in their flesh, you got three dead men and three childless widows. And a childless widow in those days was the most desperate of people. Because in those days, a childless widow had nobody to care for her. Now, there was, there was something called the Leverite Law. And what would happen is if you had a younger brother, if your older brother died and he had never given children to his wife, then the younger brother would be obliged to marry her and give her children. And the children actually count as being the older brother's children. 
You know, I, I, again, a youth pastor, I think of funny things. I can imagine that when the older brother came home and said, I met a woman, I think I'm going to marry her. The younger brother's are like, no, wait a minute, what does she look like? You know, what kind of woman is she? Because, you know, and you know, can you imagine if she was like mean and nasty? Like he'd be like walking around with his brother to make sure he didn't get hurt. Don't, no, don't walk across that bridge, man, that's not a good idea. I get stuck with her. Be safe till you have children, you know? But what happened here was there were no brothers. There were no brothers left to marry these women. They were left, again, childless widows, three of them living in pagan, a land of pagan idolatry. What in the world are they going to do? How are these women in this desperate situation going to respond? Take a look. And again, just remember, there were some of the most disadvantaged people. No one to support you. Had to live on the generosity of, of strangers. Naomi had no family in Moab. No one to help her. How could these three desperate widows respond in these times of difficulty? So number one, responding in times, how do you respond in times of difficulty? Running from your problems only makes things worse. Now take a look at how these three different widows respond in three different ways. Look at verse 6. Then she arose, that's Naomi, with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. She heard in Moab that the people who were back in the land flowing with milk and honey had bread, and she didn't, so she wanted to go back. Now, going back, right thing. Are her motives right? They're not. We don't just go back to God for bread. We don't just go back to God because we think it might benefit us financially. Well, if I turn back to, you know, I got this big contract coming up and, man, you know, I probably should pray about it and I haven't been to church in about four years, but, I, you know, I thought I'd go to pr- church on Sunday because Monday we find out if I get the deal or not. And we think we're going to manipulate God and we're going to go back for the wrong reasons. Instead of coming broken and humble, she comes thinking, well, this could be an answer to my problems. You know, it's sad when people miss out on God's blessings because they're not in the place where God can bless them. God wanted to bless her. You know, if she just stayed where she was, she she probably has thought, I never should have left. But if she just stayed where God had her, God would have cared for her. But it was because she ran away that she's now dealing with these struggles. But I want to encourage you. Ten years of misery, it's never too late to go back where you belong. No matter how far away you get, it's never too late to come back and get back in the center of God's will. But she's going back, even for the wrong reason, but at least she's going back. Tired of living in the sewer of Moab, going to get back to where God called her to be. A place of praise and feeding on His Word. And we too, maybe we need to stop putting our career before God, putting other things before God, and get back to making Him the priority again. It says there in verse 7, Therefore she went out from the place where she was, her two daughter-in-laws with her, and they went on their way to return to the land. So her daughter-in-laws, where are they from? They're from Moab. But they're going to go back to Israel with their mother-in-law because they, as we're going to see, have a love for her. And unlike the woman of Israel leaving God's place to go to Moab, these are women who are living in pagan idolatry who are willing to go where the God, the true and living God was. So this is moving in the right direction. But we're going to see that Naomi still doesn't fully get it. Because these women have little in common, religiously, ethnically, but they had been through difficulty together. And it seems like, okay, she's taking these girls back. This is great. Watch. Let's read on. Verse 8. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return to you to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and lifted up their voices and wept. You know what she told them? Go back to your land of pagan idolatry. Go back to your parents. And she's saying to them, go back there because that's the only place you're going to find a husband. She's putting limits on God. She's saying, if you go with me, I don't have any more sons. There's no one else to marry you. God will not take care of you. So God, the Lord be with you and go back to your pagan idolatry. Go back and live with your parents and worship the false gods of this world. That's the best thing for you. That is never the best thing for anybody. And so what happens here is she starts, again, is looking at things from a physical perspective rather than a spiritual one. 
And these young girls are weeping at the thought of leaving their mother-in-law, who they had grown to love. Her actions do not show wisdom, sending them back into idolatry rather than bringing them to a place of true salvation. This is the all-path-leads-to-God mentality. As long as you go worship a God, it's okay. As long as you're really sincere about the God you serve, it's fine. Do you think the guys that flew the planes into the Twin Towers were sincere and zealous about their God? What do you think? There's no doubt. Do you think they're right? Where are, where are they right now? They're burning in hell. Oh man, Pastor Dave, burning in hell. You said sin, burning in hell, and the cross, all in the same message. But here's the point. Here's the point. Zeal does not make righteousness. You can be as zealous as you want for a lie, and it's still a lie. And you know what? Instead of pointing them back, oh, I'll, I'll pass it. Oh, as long as you have, you know, go serve your gods. Your gods are gods too. No, they're not. There is no other God. We saw it in Timothy. There's one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. He's the only one seated at the right hand of the Father. We said it. Buddha's not there. Hare Krishna's not there. Joseph Smith's not there. Nobody else is there. Mary's not there. Amen. Jesus alone is there. And he's the only way we can get to heaven. And sadly, there's putting this on the same level. Go back and serve your gods like they are gods. Go back and serve your block of wood. Go back and serve your stone statue. And there's nothing that breaks my heart more. And I want to say this. You've heard me say this. When I'm in India, my heart breaks for those people. Can I tell you, I love those. God has given me such a burden for the people of India, I can't even tell you. I love them so incredibly much. And it breaks my heart to see people on their knees weeping and praying to a statue. You know what? They need to know the true and living God. Amen? Amen. And we, but at the same time, in this country, it may not be a statue. It may be our career. It may be something else that we're making the priority. God, forgive us. God, help us to get our eyes back on you. Amen. So go and return to your father's house. The Lord deal kindly with you. And the Lord grant me. And it says, and they kissed and they lifted up their voices and wept. Now look at the, the young girl's response. They said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. She's trying to send them back to worship, you know, to that place of idolatry. So we'll just go with you. Here's the interesting part. As bad as Naomi's walk with God had been, there was at least enough there that they saw that there was something about the God of Israel. And they said, wherever you're going, we want to go with you. Her daughter-in-laws want to go with her to Israel. But but again, sadly, Naomi's going to limit what God can do. Look what she says. She's still not getting it. Verse 11. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Why are you going to go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Again, the Leverite law, she said, am I still young enough to have a child that you can marry one of my sons? If you go with me, you'll never get married. So go back to the land of pagan idolatry and certainly you'll find a husband there. You wouldn't want to find a husband there. You don't want the pagan idolatrous husband, amen? Amen. You want the man God has for you. And so God had a man, as we're going to see for Ruth, verse 12 and 13. Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. She's saying, look, I'm not even going to be married again. And if I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them until they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Don't blame God for your problems. Don't say it's God's fault. And true that there were consequences to her sin. But she's making it sound like, well, God's hand is against me. And that's, in a sense, that's true. My sin has consequences. But she's now limiting God because of it. She's now limiting God and saying, well, I'm too old. And if I even could have kids, would you wait till they were grown up? You know, these women are probably in their 20s. And... Would you wait until I had a kid get it to be 15, 16, 17 years old, and then you're 45 and you marry him? Are you going to wait that long? That's what she's asking. Oh, I, you know what? It's too late. Just go back to the pagan idolatrous land. God's hand is against me. This physical perspective, again, not looking at the hand of God and the promises of God, but looking at things from her own perspective. Why is she so adamant that they go away? There's another possibility, too. 
She may have also felt ashamed that when she came back to Israel that she was going to bring Moabite daughter-in-laws with her. She might have said, oh, yeah, well, these are my daughter-in-laws. Really, where are they from? Moab. Where? (laughs) They're from Moab. We're not supposed to marry Moabites. So there's several potential reasons, but the whole point is she has taken her eyes off of God. You know, can you imagine if you'd be embarrassed to bring someone with you to church? You should be more concerned about their eternity than anything else. Amen? Amen? Amen. Everybody's welcome here. Amen? Amen? I don't care what's going on in their life. I don't care what their past is. This is a hospital, not a police station. Amen? Amen. It's a place where people go to get healed and loved on, not beaten up with a nightstick, right? right. And so if we, we all need Jesus. Bring them so they can hear the, the love and the truth and the grace of our God. It's never too late to come back home, and it's never too late to bring others with you. Verse 14. Now watch, Naomi grieving. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So, she's telling them to go away. Orpah starts to listen to the words, well, yeah, I guess I'll never will have a husband. Yeah, you're right, I'm not going to be able to wait. Well, yeah, you're right, if I go back to my country, they'll probably help provide for me if I go back to my family. And so she, Orpah, kisses her. So first we have Naomi grieving. From a physical perspective, she thinks God's hand is against her, thinks there's nothing more she can do for her daughter-in-laws. And now Orpah is going to be leaving. From a physical perspective, she heeds Naomi's words. She goes back to her old way of life, never to be heard from in Scripture again. Now, I don't know if this is true, and I would actually question whether it is or not, but I'll at least tell it to you, because Jewish tradition says that Orpah went back and got married to a Philistine man and had four sons, one of which was named Goliath. Now, that's Jewish tradition. I have no way of knowing if that's true or not. But at least to tell you that she went back, we never heard from her again, and it was not good where she went. Amen? And can you imagine if that were true? So it would be Ruth's grandson fighting her son. Interesting. Again, just speculation on part of some theologians. I don't know if it's true or not. But notice here the difference. While Naomi is grieving and Orpah is leaving, Ruth is cleaving. Ruth has an eternal perspective. She's saying, where else am I going to go? There's nowhere else. Even in Naomi's faithlessness, their ten years together, she had seen there was something about the God that she served. You know what? We can be like Orpah with the Lord, or we can be like Ruth. You know, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and showed some affection, but went back to her old way of life. And we can come before God on Sunday, and we can kiss Him, if you will, and worship Him, and then walk out the door and go live like the world. But Ruth wasn't satisfied with just giving her a kiss goodbye and going back to her old lifestyle. She clung to her. Said, I'm not going anywhere. And you're not talking me out of it. And we ought to walk out the door not just having kissed our Savior, but clinging to Him. Amen? Amen. Having that kind of intimate fellowship with the Lord. Abiding with Him. Walking, clinging, being joined to Him. More than just a feeling, but doing. Some Christians are happy just to feel, I went to church, it just felt so good. And that's good that if you're touched by God and you're encouraged, but it ought to be more than believing, it should impact our behaving. Amen? You know, God didn't just feel for us. For God so loved the world that He what? He gave His only begotten Son. He didn't just feel for us, He did an action on our behalf. Amen? An action that produced our salvation. And the same should be happening in our walk with the Lord. It shouldn't just be that we have a feeling about God. It ought to impact how we live for God. And here she is cleaving. And man, I love this. So how do you respond to difficulties of life? Do you grieve as those without hope? I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. If you do, you don't understand God's love, His grace, and His sovereignty. And you don't have an eternal perspective. Pastor Dave, that's rough. But it's true. If you're grieving, then have you forgotten who's in control? Have you forgotten how faithful He is? Is He a faithful God or what? Is He a gracious God? Does He love you more than you can ever understand? Remember He's on your side. Do you leave the seed choked off among the thorns? Parable of the sower. Things of the world get wrapped around you and you just go back to the old world, get choked off. 
succumb to temptation? Or do you cleave? Do you hold tightly to the one who loves you and the only one who can deliver you? Look at verse 15. But Ruth, and she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after her. Naomi's not even satisfied that she's clinging on to her. She's still trying to get her to go back to serve the false gods. You know, a lot of times you think of Naomi and you think of this really godly woman, and certainly we're going to see some godly aspects to her life, but Naomi had her struggles. And Naomi made some mistakes, and this is one of them. She had placed Ruth's need for a husband in greater position than her walk with God. She said, you need a husband, you've got to go back. She didn't say, you need God, come with me. Guys, your greatest need is not physical healing. Your greatest need is not a job promotion. Your greatest need is intimate fellowship with Almighty God. And so that needs to be the priority, amen? And we need to make, seek first the kingdom of God. She encouraged her to go back, go back to the people. Her physical perspective, like so much, again, of the church today that seeks physical comfort rather than, than a, a spiritual walk. The Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? It's our spiritual condition and our eternal destination that really matters. And we know the only way we can get there is through Jesus Christ. Naomi's greatest need was a walk, was a walk with the Lord to understand and know Him in an intimate and a personal way. Now look at this. You've heard these verses before. If you've been to weddings, you've heard people say these words. Look at verse 16 and 17. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn my back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. There's the key. She says, now, a lot of times we do this in marriage. This is a friendship. Ruth's name means friendly. And Ruth is reaching out in friendship to Naomi and saying, wherever you go, I'm going. Wherever you're going to live, I'm going to live. And you know what? I'm going to be joined to you. Your people are going to be my people. I'm not a Moabitess anymore. I'm going to be of Israel. And, and here's the key point. And your God will be my God. Your God will be my God. This is the truth of what we see, the transforming work that God is doing in Ruth's heart. She says, entreat me not to leave you. What she's saying is, don't ask me to leave anymore. Don't, don't tell me to leave. Any- I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here. And I'm not going to turn my back from following you. I'm, I'm going to keep with you. And wherever you go, Ruth was willing to leave her land, her people, her potential inheritance, if she'd gone back to her family, to completely to submit to Naomi and the God of Naomi in every aspect of her life. Naomi and her family had forsaken God in the midst of difficulty and turned to Moab. And Ruth would forsake Moab in the midst of her difficulty and turn to God. What a picture Ruth should be for all of us. Amen? Amen. Time of difficulty, turn to the Lord. Your God will be my God. That impact, that relationship that would have an impact on her forever. Verse 17. When you die, I will die. Where you, and there will I be buried. Now I love this part. Where you die, I will die. Ruth's clinging to her. This is not a temporary commitment. She's saying, I'm going to hang out with you until I die. I'm going to care for you until I die. Until death do us part. This commitment to be single for the rest of her life if necessary, to leave her people, her family, her way of life, to minister to her mother-in-law, to care for her, to love her, to serve her, to minister to her. What a godly woman Ruth is. And then she says, the Lord do so to me and and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. You know what's interesting? She knew enough about God to know that he would hold her accountable. Naomi's family didn't get it. They left. Ruth says, and if I don't do it, God hold me accountable. Lord, do to me more also if I'm not faithful to this commitment. You know what? I I love the beauty that we see in this commitment here. You know what? With commitment comes resolve. When you make a commitment, I'm doing, you know, Lord, I commit. A vow is a promise for a lifetime. We're almost done. Verse 18. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. She gave up. Ruth said, I'm coming. Leave. I'm coming. Leave. I'm hanging on. I'm coming. I'm not leaving until you die. I'm here. That's it. I'm staying. All right. I give up. Come on. That's what happened. And Ruth said, all right, come with me. Let's finish up. So we see running away from God. We see Naomi grieving, Orpah leaving, Ruth cleaving. And lastly, these last four verses, how do you respond in times of brokenness or bitterness? Verse 19. 
Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened that when they came to Bethlehem, that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? This was just like a big village, really. And when she came, it was like someone coming back to church after 10 years. Look who's here. And all the women ran back to talk to Naomi. Is this you, Naomi? Her name means what? Pleasant. Is this Pleasant? Pleasant has returned. And they all run to talk to Pleasant. Ask her how she's doing. All the city was excited. This is Naomi. Now, watch how she responds. Does she respond? But she said, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Don't call me Pleasant. Call me bitter. What a godly testimony. How you doing with your trial? Just call me bitter. I'm not real happy about things right now. I took my husband and my boys. I tried to get rid of the two girls and one of them wouldn't leave and she's with me. I just bitter. Why is she bitter? She's focused on the things that she didn't have rather than what she did have. She had a God who loved her. A God who would restore her. A God who would provide for her. And a daughter-in-law who wanted to walk with her. But instead, she was focused on the things she had lost, things that she had lost only because of her own ungodly behavior. For this Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Naomi, Naomi didn't think it was a string of bad luck. She knew it was consequences of sin. It's not, there's no such thing as bad luck. By the way, do you know where the word luck comes from? Lucifer. Didn't know that. So don't say good luck to people, not so much. Good Lucifer. <laughs> Good Lucifer on your marriage. Not so much. God be with you. Amen? Amen. God's hand be upon you. Praise the Lord. So she knew it wasn't luck. She knew it was the consequence of her own behavior. And when confronted with her sin, she could have repented or she could have become bitter and she becomes bitter. It says here, verse 21, I went out full and the Lord brought me home again empty. You should just be thankful he brought you home again. Amen. Amen? Amen? I'm here. God's here. That's enough. What else do I need? You don't realize that God is all you need until he's all you have sometimes. And it says here, I went out full and he was brought me home empty. Why do you call me pleasant? Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. Again, it's not godly affliction, but sinful consequences. At the end of herself to bring her back. And that's working. Amen. Wasn't the ultimate desire to get her back. And now she's back. Last verse. So Naomi returned. And Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her. Who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Don't you love this? And this is going to play into the next chapters. But they come back and it's barley harvest time. They're, they're you know, getting bread out of the ground. Isn't that great? They had left because there was famine in the land. And then when they came back to honor God again and making the priority, it's harvest time. You know, when you come back to the Lord, He doesn't go, okay, well, you're back now, but go sit in the corner for a while. (laughs) You know, it's like when the prodigal son came home, they killed the fatted calf, didn't they? They had the huge barbecue and said, you're home. Guys, if you walked away from God, He wants to throw a big barbecue for you. He says, come on home. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. I don't care where you've been. This is home. And if you've had to go through difficulty to get back here, then I'm just glad you're here. And you may have gone out thinking you were full, but coming back is what will make you full. Coming back is what will fill you up. So, in closing, responding to the difficulties of life. Remember, running from your problems only makes things worse. We can respond like Naomi and we can grieve as those without hope. We can be like Orpah and we can leave, go back to our old way of life. Or we can be like Ruth and we can cleave to the Lord. And then lastly, when brought to the end of ourselves, do we respond in brokenness or bitterness? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it applies to every one of our lives today. We thank you that you are such a faithful God. Lord, I pray for people in this room going through difficulty right now. Father, I pray and ask in Jesus' name, that they would not run from you, that they would not go back to their old way of life, but Lord, they would cling to you, that they would seek your face. Lord, they would know they're not alone. 
Father, I pray that there's people in this room that have walked away from you, brought here by a friend today, or just haven't been in fellowship in a long time. Lord, I pray today they would turn back to you. And know, Lord, you desire to restore them completely, to kill the fatted calf, to bless them, to love on them, to minister to them. Lord, you're their father. And so, Lord, we just pray and we thank you for your love and your grace. You're such a great God, such a merciful God. We can take a million steps away from you, but we praise you that it's only one step back. We ask your blessings upon each person who's here. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.